So we do want to create a little bit of disruption in the marketplace because up until now, I think there's been a, a lack of competition. Let's have a look at the pension fund industry and pension planning now. This is Investec Focus Radio, and with me are investment managers Mark Henson and Patrick Duggan from Investec Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Mark, if I can start with you. You've been in the business for quite a while at Investec Wealth and Investment for a number of years now. You've got a good track record. But from what I understand, you're moving more now towards SMEs. What is the reason for that? Why now? Yeah, so, Lindsay, there's a, there's a big gap in the market, we think, and that's a, a particular area that we're focusing on in the old sort of 50 to 250 million rand pension funds. And uh, we think that through the regulatory changes, it's creating the catalyst now for a lot of potential disruption, uh, product innovation, and, uh, you know, we are hoping to pay our part to improve ultimately the outcomes for members behind those particular pension schemes. Is that also one of the reasons why certain small and medium enterprises are not that active in their pension planning, if you see what I mean, and therefore they're not serving their employees? Yeah, I think that's right. So there's a general apathy in, in my experience at the employer level as well as at the end member level, you know, when it comes to uh, ensuring that their uh, retirement uh, savings are, are adequate and, and what they need to be. And I think Largely, the marketplace has, has underestimated that wholesale change that we've seen over the last two decades, moving from defined benefit where the risk sat with the fund and with the employer to defined contribution now where that risk has, has passed to the end members. So it really does require those end consumers now to pay greater attention to their own future and retirement savings. Patrick, tell us about the regulatory changes that Mark was mentioning just now as one of the catalysts for you moving into the SME sphere. What, what has changed that prompted you to do this? So um, I suppose Mark would be probably better positioned to answer that question than myself. But um, I suppose Regulation 28 has been around for, for some time. Regulation 28 obviously defines how much a, a pension fund can put within certain asset classes. Um, but I suppose that's that's not really the, the nub of the question. Um, Mark, do you want to talk about the movement from DB to DC in a bit more detail? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the Pension Fund Second Amendment Act, the so-called uh, surplus legislation, came about in the early 2000s. And we've seen massive shrinkage and, and consolidation in the industry as a result, where we've gone from over 16,500 registered retirement funds say, 20 years ago to less than 1,600 today. So there's been a big shift from those old defined benefit pension funds to defined contribution standalone schemes, uh, be it a pension fund or a provident fund. Uh, and then subsequent to that, there's been further consolidation into umbrella funds and largely driven uh, in two respects or two key drivers, in my opinion. One is through these multi-employer umbrella funds to improve economies of scale. And the theory was that that would drive down costs and alter, ultimately benefit all end members behind those particular schemes and the growing fiduciary responsibility that's being placed on the shoulders of, of trustees, um, where I think that's also been a key driver to move from standalone schemes into umbrella funds. But many employers, I think, make the mistake and, and boards are incorrectly informed as far as the outsourcing of that fiduciary responsibility is concerned because they haven't absolved their responsibility entirely moving into an umbrella fund.
Would you say that the changes that you've just described have not revolutionized, but certainly upgraded the pension industry, the pension fund industry? Because I've always had the impression over the years that I've been talking about these, the pension fund industry is that it's been rather stodgy and, and stuck in the mud and stuck in a different era. Would you say that these changes are just the start of not a revolution, as I said before, but uh, changes for the better, even more changes for the better? I think those changes have started, uh, Lindsay, but I, th- I think you're quite right in your assessment that it hasn't changed to the extent that uh, that the marketplace requires. So the key, the key changes and, and where I see the future is, is through the product harmonization because if you look at uh, where we are today and the existing fragmentation where we still sit with those old defined benefit pension funds, we have defined contribution standalone pension and provident funds, umbrella funds are something slightly different, we have preservation funds, retirement annuities, why do all these products exist where we're simply trying to take someone from first contribution in their 20s to hopefully a comfortable retirement, let's say, 40 years later? So one of the key changes that we're seeing through the regulations is product harmonization, where the intention is to have all those products be one and the same, and then standardization of cost disclosure, which I think is also another key key change because for end consumers now to try and quantify their total cost of membership of a particular scheme is a very, very difficult exercise. And um, we can see that now through a particular focus on umbrella funds where a new cost disclosure standard was implemented in March of this year. Um, And hopefully through the leveling of the playing field, through the products and the cost disclosures, that's then going to create the opportunity and bring a new competition into the marketplace and potentially, um, you know, we'll see some product innovation as well. Let's hope so, yes. So there'll be product innovation and a drive for change from industry itself, but also the South African Treasury must have had some kind of motive to change regulations. And I suppose one of the motives is to address our appalling record of savings and retirement savings in South Africa. Because in this piece that you send me, you say only around about 6% of retirees can actually afford to retire. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, that's the ultimate test is to say, well, how many people can retire at the end of this process and sustain their standard of living? And to continue with a 95% failure rate is simply unacceptable. And uh, there are a number of reasons for that. I think end members behind these retirement schemes need to take a greater interest. I suspect if we were to ask many people out there, how much should you be saving for your retirement? I'm not sure many could answer that. And so, you know, it starts with some basic, basic education. You know, if it's a 40-year savings period, people should be saving around 15% of their gross total income. If you defer that contributions or savings uh, phase by just 10 years and you start in your mid-30s, your contribution requirement jumps from 15% of earnings to 30%. You know, and I often chat to people who are now in their mid-40s and now they start to think about saving for their retirement because they've got the kids through school, they've settled bond uh, expenses, etc., but, uh, you know, if you've only got 20 years to go to retirement, your contribution or savings need jumps up to 60% of, of uh, total remuneration. You know, and then it becomes a very difficult exercise to then try and catch up. Yeah, very much so. 
And I'd like to explain concepts through examples. Now, let's say I'm an SME, I've got 50 employees, I come to Investec Wealth and Investment, I sit down and say, right, I need to plan my pension strategy now. What would you do? I'll throw this open to both of you. Yeah, so, I mean, what's important, uh, we believe, is that the corporates and the end members, firstly, I think, have access to information, that they're part of a transparent solution, uh, transparency in terms of fees and uh, reporting, that they have the option to create flexibility and customization in the solution, which doesn't often exist in the marketplace, particularly at this level of, of, uh, of pension scheme. And importantly, as part of our solution is we, we offer the client direct access to the portfolio manager responsible for those assets within the retirement fund. And again, we, we see that as a key differentiator and we think that that's important that the board responsible for the retirement fund can ask those direct questions of the individual actually responsible for, for managing the assets. Patrick, do you agree with that, the personalization of the process? In other words, a face-to-face -face meeting and questioning an investment strategy, for example, with a portfolio manager, has this been driven by client requests? I do agree with that, Lindsay. I think that what we've seen, and I've been on a, a relatively short journey thus far with Mark, but um, what we're seeing is a, is a real lack of understanding in, by trustees um, who have a fiduciary duty to their employees in terms of the key players that make up a part of a solution. So your asset consultants, your folk who price risk, your money managers. So they don't understand who all the players are, let alone understand what the price that they're paying for them. So um, to use a colleague's analogy, it's like buying a, a cell phone contract um, where you're offered 100 free SMSs and nobody uses SMSs anymore. You know, we're all using WhatsApp. So you've got this bundled solution. You don't really understand what's in the package and you don't understand what you're paying for it. So what we're trying to do is suggest to SMEs that actually why not unbundle the solution and we'd like to be a key part of that process, specifically in the money management and also uh, driving down costs as part of that uh, process. Yes, of course, cost driving down is a, is a movement at the moment, and I think it, it will continue to be so. Mark, let's wrap this up now, and you can tell us a little bit about the Investec Wealth and Investment track record in this sphere, and also what your goals and aspirations are for the future. So, you know, I think the, the, the performance track record is there, Lindsay, and, you know, we've, we've spoken about costs, and you know, I think costs and alpha, uh, or outperformance, are equally as important because there was an interesting paper that came out from Treasury which focused on costs specifically and what can appear to be small differences in annual costs can actually make a material impact in the long run. So a 2.5% difference in annual fees over a 40-year savings period will halve one's capital value at retirement age of 65. And, you know, it's not uncommon to be able to achieve cost savings in that region of 2 to 3%. And that can make a significant difference in the post-retirement lifestyle of men and members behind these uh, retirement funds. And, of course, you know, longevity is becoming an increasing issue. So 
as people live longer and longer, I think we need to start paying more more attention to all these frictional costs that exist in the system. And, you know, if there are services and products being offered that, you know, consumers don't necessarily need to, to Patrick's example of the SMSs in your cell phone bundle, well, in our opinion, those should be excluded. And, you know, one should save those cost differences and at the end of the day could make a huge difference. And uh, that's where we see our social obligation and where we'd like to play a meaningful role in this in this industry is is trying to improve those uh, results that we spoke of earlier. Uh, we can't continue with a, with a 95% failure rate. And also, you've, you, as we said earlier on, what you've got to do is do what the big players, the really, really big players don't do at the moment, and that is pay attention to these, these smaller schemes for, for SMEs, because if they've been, if they've been underserviced, then, they're, as we said again earlier on, they're doing their employees a disservice as well. Is that, is that your goal, to be the go-to, uh, the go-to financial institution for SMEs when it comes to pensions? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we'd, we'd, we'd want to be the Uber in this marketplace. You know, if you were a black cab driver in the city of London, Uber hasn't been great. But as an end user of their services, it's, it's fantastic. So we do want to create a little bit of disruption in the marketplace because up until now, I think there's been a, a lack of competition. And to a large extent, the institutional market and private clients or, or retail markets have been operating in in different areas and through the product harmonization and the standardization of costs all of a sudden i think we're going to be talking to the end the same end client whereas possibly you know institutional have been playing rugby on one half of the pitch and retail been playing football on the other half of the pitch you know through the standardization of the products now we're all going to be chasing the same ball or, or talking to the same client Gentlemen, thanks very much for your insight. That was Mark Henson and Patrick Duggan, Investment Managers at Investec Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Thank you for listening to Investec Focus Radio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.